If you will, church, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13. It'll take me a little while to get there, but I want you to get there. I'm going to go through these other scriptures pretty quick. Well, I don't know about that. A different kind of king. A different kind of king. What kind of king is Jesus? Well, he's a different kind of king. Is he like other kings? No, Jesus is a different kind of king. Is he like any king we've ever seen before? No, see, Jesus is different. He's a different kind of king. He's not the same kind of king. He's different. So, is anybody wondering what the title of today's message is? A different kind of king. That's what we got. The best kind of king. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we hear, For us to, to, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Uh, a son is given. Again, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus Christ remains the greatest gift of this world or the greatest gift that this world will ever receive. The greatest gift of God that this world will ever receive. Jesus Christ, God with us, God incarnate. He didn't come wrapped in a, a nice pretty box with a big bow on top or in a, some kind of stately form, nor was he this just really, really ridiculously good looking guy um, with, uh, in great physical shape with this stately appearance. This was not Jesus. He wasn't super successful by the standards of the world or the standards that the world would set. He wasn't rich in gold or silver or jewels as he walked the face of this earth, regardless of what prosperity gospel teachers will teach you. Um, that is not the truth. He didn't drive a nice car. He didn't have a super sweet camel with a tricked out saddle. You know, he wasn't wearing all the rhinestones. You know what I'm saying? Um, he wasn't doing all that. He didn't have the big home with the pool or he didn't save up for getaways where he could sit on a nice beach and drink drinks with little umbrellas in them. He didn't take four cruises a year. Jesus was different. Jesus is different. In fact, when it comes to describing some of his assets or his physical attributes or his appearance, the Bible says this <clears throat> from Isaiah 53, for he grew up he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. Anybody ever seen a root out of dry ground? Uh, I know a couple of people that have, obviously. You know, people seen roots. You know, I guess if you're a plant person, a root could be a beautiful looking thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I'm ever in the potato aisle or the beet aisle. I don't know that I'm ever looking at carrots thinking, that is gorgeous. You know, um, roots aren't typically the, what you look at and you say, man, that's got some, you know, that's got some beauty to it. It's just not what it is. The Lord was very, very purposeful in saying this, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. 
like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. See, Jesus wasn't, he, he didn't come into this world with, with did, did you, uh, let me say this, do you know of a king sometime in our past as people where the guy looked like the king, he was tall, he was good looking, looked stately, all that. Do you know, remember the Lord gave the people a king like that? Remember his name? Saul, that's right. King Saul, King Saul. Now how did that fare for the people? Terrible, terrible. So the Lord was purposeful in how he placed Jesus into this world, how Jesus came into this world. He, he was supposed to look a certain way and that certain way was not the way that anyone else thought he should look. There was nothing about him to be desired, the Bible says. We should look at him. We see these ancient depictions from these renowned artists that depict uh, Jesus Christ, usually as a white guy, you know. Um, uh, blue eyes sometimes, you know. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I've ever seen a Middle Eastern with blue eyes or blonde hair. You know what I'm saying? Beautiful man. I want to look like that guy. You know, this is, not, this is not the historical Jesus that we see in these depictions. And that's one of the things that we need to know when reading this, is that God placed Jesus into the world a certain way for a certain reason. He wanted there to be a reason why people followed him, and the main reason would be because he is the Christ. Because he is the Messiah. He is the Savior sent into the world to atone for the sins of all those who would place their faith in him one day so that we would be saved. About comfort and a place to live and being accepted, the Bible also says this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Those are some pretty descriptive words about our Savior, aren't they? Listen to this as well. In Matthew 8, 18 through 20, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will, go, or I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then as he hung on the cross, as if we needed to imagine with our own minds and hearts, since we weren't there, his death and appearance at the time of death was described in this way. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Now the beginning of that verse that selection there, Isaiah 52, 13 through 15. In 13, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall 
be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance so marred, so beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. What we're seeing here is that any vision that the Israelites and the people of Israel, this nation of people, any vision that they had of God who would come into the world to save them, any vision they had of the Messiah who would come in, the Christ who would save them, would come in as some sort of political or military figure who would free them from this captivity of sorts or from the Roman government or from their oppressors, whoever they may be, was a worldly king. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for another Saul type and what God gave them was somebody far different than anything that they could ever imagine. He gave them a God type. He gave them himself. This also goes to show that when looking for something, we need to make sure we're looking for the right thing. When you're looking to have questions answered in your life about things you struggle with, hope and pray that you're looking to the right places for answers. Because the Jews at that time were not looking to the right place for answers. They were looking to something that they had in their imagination, maybe that they'd known from their past. And God wanted to show them something completely different. Something they couldn't put their finger on. Something that looked different. That was unfamiliar to them. In reading these verses together, it's just, it's apparent that God was doing something different for his people and that as expectant as they thought they were because they had the Old Testament scriptures and because they went to synagogue every week, because they studied the word, because they met together, because they did all these things, because they were traditional people, because they were in the temple, because, they were, because of all these things, they figured they were expectant, they were ready to receive, they were ready to go, they were waiting for the one God would send and they were ready. And we see because we know already what happened, that they were not ready. They were not ready. They thought they were, but they were not. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. It was the wisest act of all humanity when Jesus uh, went to the cross willingly to die for our sins. In his wisdom, knowing what would happen, he went. Knowing what would happen, he went. In his wisdom, he went. Wisdom was one of the things that helped propel him to the cross when he was in agony in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood in agony when the weight of the cross was about him as he was in that garden pleading with his father. It was wisdom. Wisdom propelled him. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, the wisest act of all humanity. He went not because his appearance or his feelings or his physical pain or his comfort mattered more than anything. No, he went because you mattered to him more than anything. He went because of you. Because of you. We matter to him so much. So much so that he came into this world, was born to a virgin girl named Mary, and then lived a life of perfection on his way to his death 33 years later. That's something I love to bring up. That Jesus was 33 when he died, right about there, to this many, oh, he died too young. He had his whole life ahead of him. Hmm. But we know that's not the truth, right? Jesus died at just the right time so that we could have all of our lives ahead of us. Mm. We matter so much to him. 
He was born, he lived and died so that we would be forgiven. You see, Jesus wouldn't be a king like the one seen on TV or that the people of that time had been used to. He would be a different kind of king. He wouldn't come and walk around with a thousand servants telling this one to go there, that one to go there, and go fetch my water boy. He also wouldn't be a souped up celebrity type who acts like a king with a multitude of hired hands and servants wiping off the sweat from his brow. Jesus wouldn't be that way. He would be totally different. He would be a different king. He would be a servant king, one who, one who wouldn't come to be served, a king who would come to serve, a different kind of king. He wouldn't come uh, to lord over his people, but to take them by the hand while drowning, lift them out of the water or while fishing and ask them to follow him and have the faith to believe in him. This was our, our king that had come into the world. He was different than all the other kings. He wouldn't have auditions for people to be in his circle. He wouldn't have a long laundry list of qualifications, run background checks, or look at credit scores. He was different. Jesus saw to the heart. He wouldn't bring people in based on all the good things they did or based on who their family was. He wouldn't base entrance into the kingdom on their bloodline. He would base entrance into the kingdom on his bloodline. He is the servant king who came to die so that we could live. This was our king, is our king, and he's different. I've never in my life felt so loved as when I fell to my knees in awe of Jesus Christ and the reality of his divinity. And I pray that we would all do that at least once in our life. Fall to our knees in awe of the majesty of the divinity of Jesus Christ, who he is. He is God. I didn't know what was happening to me when I got saved, but I learned through discipleship. He always teaches and he always uses men and women to do the teaching while we are here. There are some instances where we see scripture telling us of God teaching without the guidance of men, such as when the apostle Paul went away to Arabia for three years, remember this? He says he was taught by no one, he encountered no one. He received the message from Jesus Christ himself. He wasn't learning from the other apostles at that time, but only from Jesus. But I want you to know that that is an isolated, that is an isolated instance. It's not common as the other apostles had to walk with Jesus. Paul did as well, but in a different way. After Jesus had already ascended into heaven to take his seat at the right hand of God the Father. And usually when being taught about Christ, his commands, his life, uh, being authentic uh, and confessing to another person, we are given a great opportunity to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what discipleship is all about. It is about uh, life, authenticity, confessing to one another, and obeying his commands. This is what we learn in discipleship. And you'll also notice that the Apostle Paul didn't tell people to go away and learn from God on their own. Go away, go for three years, Jesus will appear to you and you'll learn from him and him alone. Don't worry about being involved with the church of people. Don't worry about doing anything. Just stay off in seclusion by yourself and he'll be there. Paul doesn't ever do that. How do we know he doesn't do that? Well, because he himself disciples people. He starts churches, plants churches, writes them letters about their leadership, about the things that they need to be concerned with, about false teachers coming in to uh, infect uh, you know, uh, their, their flock. 
He has an awesome disciple named Timothy who he writes several letters to, who's the elder in charge of the church at Ephesus that he had started. He disciples people. But Jesus, Jesus is a king who doesn't just rule over his subjects with an iron fist. He teaches, he listens, he serves. He is a king who loves deeply and he is a king who sacrifices for his people. So let's take a look at a time when Jesus showed us through his ministry and leadership just what kind of king he is. And now we're gonna go into John chapter 13 and verse one. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, O Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And if you are clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I, have not, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. I, I love this, this scene so much, the, the, the foot washing scene, because it's, so, it's such a, an incredibly clear picture of who Jesus is and what he wants for his people that he's willing to go and kneel before them to clean them up. It is also a foreshadowing of what happens when he cleans us up after coming to him. Peter saying, you're not gonna wash my feet. You're, he's like, you're Jesus. You're not, you're, you're the Lord. You, you don't wash, you, I, I sh just like remember, don't we hear something about like, kind of like this that happened before? 
in the Jordan when Jesus approached John and said, you need to baptize me. And then what did John say? He said, no, 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 no. You should be baptizing me. This should be the other way around. I'm not even worthy to lose the sandals on your feet. Not even worthy to touch your feet. You're saying, I need to baptize you. You should baptize me. And then here we see Peter. Oh, no, no, no. I, you're not, you're not going to wash my feet. I don't want you touching my feet. You're the Lord. You're different. You're here. I'm here. And Jesus says, but if I don't wash you, then you have no share with me. In other words, if I don't clean you up, if I don't wash you, if I don't change you, if I don't bring you from there to here, then you have no share with me in eternity. That's the truth of the gospel, isn't it, y'all? That if we are not cleaned up by Jesus, then we have no share with him in eternity. Jesus makes it boldly or blatantly uh, clear to his disciple there, Peter, if I don't wash you, Peter, I it's like I understand where you're coming from, Peter, like I do, Ian does. I understand where you're coming from, Peter, but let Jesus do what he's going to do, Right? That's what we want for our lives. But how many times in your life are you holding up the washing of God because you're saying, no, 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 don't, don't touch my feet. I'm not worthy here. We have to make sure that we're not getting in the way of the blessing of God to clean us up. We need to make sure that we're not denying God or that we're not putting out a, a no and putting up a wall between us and God when he wants to change us. A while back, years ago, I was in San Antonio and I was, I was growing in the ministry and um, my pastor Kevin um, would always, him and Shana, his wife, would always invite me and my wife over and we lived in Centerpoint. So for us, going to San Antonio every week, we drove over there to go to church and it was like an hour drive every time, you know, 40 minutes to an hour, depending on the traffic on I-10. And, um, but we used to go over there all the time. That's why people are like, oh, it's too far, like, to drive to church. I'm like, say what? Man, I drove an hour to church every week. And then I drove an hour to my discipleship meetings with my pastor from church every week, you know what I'm saying, and my other elder, and I had uh, discipleship meetings with him, and then when we had leadership team meetings, I drove an hour to go to them, so I was back and forth an hour each way, multiple times a week, every week, some people try to tell me, you know, oh, it's just too, you know, it's too far, I can't drive to church, I'm like, okay, well, you got to go talk to somebody else that understands you, I don't, it's a sacrifice, and it's a commitment when we decide to come up into the Lord, isn't it? It's a commitment. It's an obedience. It's a, hey, Lord, I'm here. And then it's showing that with your life. And that's what it was that day for us as well. It was an obedience and a commitment because I drove to San Antonio because Morgan and I were invited over to my pastor and his wife's house. And we went over there and we had dinner. They made dinner for us. They were always, they were just always wanting to serve us. And, um, and I, I just, I, I've never had a relationship like that with somebody before. And so, whenever we went over there one day, I remember Kevin and, 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 my, and, me, and Kevin and I were talking, he's my pastor, and Kevin and I were talking, and 
we were talking about different things and we were always talking about the scriptures and we were always trying to figure out what things meant and everything and we were always wanting to experience what the people in the Bible experienced and whatnot and we modeled our church after the Acts chapter 2 experience uh, with, with the, the fellowship of the believers and you know um, we decided that it would be a good idea to wash our wives feet that night and um, so we got a basin and and we got a we got some water out and we got a jug of water and we went through and we prayed and we just served our wives. So we got down on our hands and knees and we told our wives how much we loved them. And it was such an incredible, beautiful experience to be able to wash my wife's feet. And now it's even so much more significant to me because my pastor's wife, Shana, she's now, she passed away the other day on Christmas Day. And I still remember having that conversation with Kevin in his living room about washing our wife's feet. I still remember the looks on their faces when we took out the, the basin of water and knelt before them when we were about to wash them. They were like, kind of like embarrassed, blushing, smiling, you know, all that stuff. And it was a little bit awkward at first, <laughs> you know. And then as we experienced it together, it was like one of the most incredible experiences that I've had because there was power in it. And the reason why there's power in it was because we were being obedient to the command of God. When he says, I've come in here and done this for you. Now do this for each other. I got to ask y'all, have you washed each other's feet? Because if you haven't, then I'm going to encourage you to go home and do that today. Every single one of you. And I have a feeling that some of you won't. Because you may think it's a little weird or something, I don't know. But I can assure you, for the ones of you that do, you're going to experience what it's like to be right in the middle of obedience to God. Because obedience to God will allow you to share moments with people and with Him that you'll never forget. And it's those unforgettable moments in life that God gives us to experience with one another that end up coloring and seasoning the rest of our lives. If you wash your wife's feet, men, you are literally the salt of the earth. Women, if you wash your husband's feet, you are shining the light of Christ. You're fulfilling commitment to God shown through your obedience to Christ in washing one another's feet. You see, Jesus came into the world to show us a different way. And not a way, a different way just for the sake of being different, but a different way for the sake of being right. Because all we knew was wrong. We knew the wrong way. We know how to get it wrong. We know how to do things wrong. We know how to mess up. We know how to try to struggle back. We know how to try to recover when we mess up. But do you have enough experience in the kingdom of God as a Christ follower, church? As a Christ follower, do you have enough experience as a Christ follower in the kingdom of God in being obedient to Jesus Christ? How much obedience experience do you have? I want you to have more because God wants you to have more. I want to have more. 
Because God wants me to have more. God knows the blessing ready for you to experience through obedience if you'll just be obedient and experience it. But it takes obedience to God. That when God says something, we say, yes, I will. Yes, amen. Yes, right now, right away. Don't let these sorts of things pass you by. You'll know professed Christians all around the world that'll go their entire, entire life without washing someone else's feet. And I'm here to tell you that here in this room, you should not go another day. Not another day. Not another day. Obedience to Jesus Christ lived out through your actions in your life. There's nothing like it. Do you know that the church is the hope for the world? The church is the hope for the world. Because the hope for the world is the kingdom of God. And the church are the inhabitants of that kingdom. The kingdom is the place, it's the people, that's us. The place yet to be revealed. The God always around and with you. When you bow down to God in your life, in humble submission, you end up doing things that you never would have ever dreamed you'd do. The world doesn't want men serving their wives or wives serving their husbands. The world does not want parents serving their children or children serving their parents. The world does not want a church serving one another. The world does not want God to be in control. But guess what? He is, and we will, and it can start today, because we've got a different kind of king, y'all. We've got a king who kneels down before those people whom he's created to wash their feet, to clean them up, so that they would have their share with him in eternity. Let's follow suit. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for loving us the way that you have, for providing for us the way that you always do, God. And I ask, Lord, that you would provide for us yet again here today in the way of salvation for every single person present. All of our families, Lord, we pray for the salvation of every single person in all of our families represented here or the families of all the people represented here. God, help us to be proclaimers of the word not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Lord, help us, Lord, as we might have reservations about washing one another's feet. Lord, I pray that we do that here, that we do that within our families and our homes. I pray, Lord, that and beyond that, Lord, that we are continuing to be obedient to you, loving you, Lord, with our whole life, Jesus' name, amen. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ before today, I pray that you would do so. I pray that you would come all the way to him as he's calling you all the way to himself. We're going to be down here for you all to pray, uh, or to pray with you all. If you, if you would like to come up for prayer, please do. We'd love to pray with you through anything. Whether it's praying, uh, asking God if it's relationship with God that you need prayer through, then we'd love to pray with you through that. Any kind of physical ailment for your, you, yourself, a family member, a co-worker, 
situations at work, doesn't matter. We're here. God bless you.